Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by a very sick Brian Gottlieb, who unfortunately is missing the Flesh and Blood Pro Tour this weekend in France. Where in France? Lille. Supposed to be in Lille right now. Uh, actually, I believe as we record the really cool banquet, Players Banquet is going on, so all kinds of food and celebration and fun stuff. But I'm here with you, Gerald, which is which is even better. If I were healthy, I, I would very happily sit down and record this podcast, but it, it's going to be a struggle today. I'll be honest, things have been tough. Turns out COVID sucks. I don't know if you knew that, but it, it's, it's quite a disease. It's, it's, it's kicking my ass. I've, I've heard that. As far as I know, I've not had it yet. So. Yeah, good choice. I would keep that up. I'm uh, doing, doing my best, mostly just living in my basement. But yeah, I mean, we missed uh episode last week. You're still, you know, sick enough this week to not want to travel. You're coughing a lot. Speaking is hard, but we're going to do our best. If we have to take a break at some point, I'm just going to go ahead and do that because uh, we're just going to do whatever it takes to get through this. Yeah, like like most things, the timing for the sickness is terrible, not only for missing the Pro Tour, but also just like new magic set. Best time of the of the year. Fresh cards to talk about. My One of my favorite podcasts to do. And uh, we had to skip it this week, so there's no way we're going to skip it. We're going to skip it last week. There's no way we're going to skip it this week as well. Definitely want to talk about these new Dominaria cards. And we're splitting it into a few episodes. We're going to stretch it out a little bit. So we get to talk about all this stuff since we are dealing with a little bit of a condensed season due to uh, my illness. And also leaks. I The entire set actually got... I, I won't say... Is leak the correct term when it's actually Wizards doing it? Like when they're putting forth the document that leaks the entire set? Well, okay, I didn't know about this. Oh, they they put out like the what's the document called? Like the rules document that comes out at the end, but that goes card by card throughout the entire set. So the, the set in its full form basically has been available for a couple of weeks now. What? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't believe you didn't know that. I I saw this. It's probably actually the day we were supposed to do our show last week. I think it dropped. So it, it's been a while that. Well, that's the vast majority. Uh, okay, of the set yeah. Available. So that's that's one week. Okay, one week. Right. I, look, <laughs> if you're looking for accuracy this week, it's going to be rough. My Work. my mind my mind is a mess. Time is a mess. I've mostly spent like the last week in bed, sleeping eighteen to twenty hours a day. So all my concepts of time and reality are very much shattered right now. Apologies. Word. Uh, no problem. Basically, once you were like, I am stuck in bed. I can't move. I can't talk. I was like, all right, I'm just going to turn my magic brain off. At least as far as like previews are concerned, because I knew we weren't going to do a show and I just kind of stopped paying attention and also not following like a ton of magic people on Twitter. So I don't know. I guess that's probably why I didn't see it. Who knows? Yeah, that makes sense. I know it was circulated in a few discords. I saw the full uh, document. I'm not in these discords that people talk about where they're like, I'm in all these, you know, secret, awesome discord. Well, I, I don't get any invites to those. So. I think I'm in multiple discords with you, though. Like some of the discords that I am speaking about, you're probably in. If I had to guess, Dude, I think are you I'm sure in- you're not in them, or you just don't use them? No, I'm in. I'm in legit two of them. Okay, and one of them is ours. One of them I started. Yeah, I, I only have like three. One of them is very flesh and blood focused, so that's why that's why you're not in that one. Uh, I don't have too many other awesome secret discords that I hang out in. Sure, man. Sure, whatever. That's cool. <laughs> but I'm looking for some. If anyone's got some, let me know. I'm happy to join. I, I, people keep talking about them. Anyway, uh, yeah, we're going to just go color order, I think. So this is the the white, blue, black episode, I suppose. And then hopefully finish up 
the rest with an episode next week. And maybe if we're feeling frisky, we could also do a top 10 episode and kind of like make up for the missed episode. What do you think? Yeah, a, a double episode makes sense to me. Kind of catch us back up to speed. I think at that point, people will be ready for the top 10. So sure, I, we've now said that out loud. I'm willing to commit to it. The other thing that I thought about as I was making the list for cards to talk about, we, we both made the list. It was it was collaborative. You actually made more of the list than I did. But like while I was doing my tiny portion of it, I realized that the way that we did things before doesn't really matter because there wasn't really any standard stuff. So now we're still talking about the cards through like a standard lens, but does that actually matter anymore? And I guess we'll find out. Yeah, my instinct is yes. I mean, it seems like we're trying to turn things back towards standard matters. Now, are we going to deliver on that? Who knows? There's there's still so many questions, and every single week seems to bring up different uncertainties. Again, I, I don't know how much of this you like you get, as you mentioned, not following as many magic people anymore, but like the pay came out, the judge pay for the dream hack event in Atlanta. Did you see any of this? Oh, I heard about that. It's just, it's just gross, man. I mean, the, the amount they were being paid was insulting, honestly, and, and not enough to actually finance a high level tournament such as this. So, you know, there's that issue. If you go over to Europe, I guess there's like supposed to be an event. Basically the organizer over there is running quasi GP type things. And yep. there's, there's one, I believe in Paris in the next couple of weeks. It doesn't actually have a location yet. And the one that happened prior to that, which I believe was in Copenhagen, just had like abysmal prize support up and down the entire thing was super expensive. So a, a lot of hiccups going on with the system right now, mostly in terms of, I would say, financial either decisions or realities, depending on how you want to view it. But uh, th- things are a little rough with the system right now. I think if they get their feet under them, next season will be very standard focused. I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not. We'll see. I think especially post-rotation, it would probably be good to try and bring it back a little bit. But if long-term plan does not really involve standard, then I could see moving away from it. Who cares? Uh, I supported that for a long time. I mean, I I actually thought like giving up on standard was the move, but we're kind of, and, and if that is ultimately the move, I'm fine with it, but we're just like living in limbo right now where we're sort of right. trying to do both. And that's, I think, unsustainable. So this this is probably the make or break set. This will tell us whether we are returning to standard. I think our plan, though, is to talk about this stuff mostly in the context of standard. Maybe that's a bit of a lark right now. But I, at least for me, that's how I've been looking at these cards and trying to think about like what they do going forward. But also... Okay. We'll check in on the other formats. I think it's almost impossible and and a little bit foolish not to at this point when they do seem to be the focal point. So, yeah, I mean, my mindset would have to change so much when reviewing cards for sets because it, it was you know writing for Star City or whatever. It was always just standard, standard focused for the most part, and then there were other people like Ari that were, would do like, you know, the top 10, whatever cards for modern or something. And it was just like, Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that card in that context or whatever, because I wasn't getting paid to, but if, if that's where we end up, that's where we end up. But this one is going to be standard. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would often shift around in star city, like just based on what was catching my attention at the time, but everything always came like, especially in preview season through a lens of standard first, I think, because that moved the most cards, right? Like that's, that's how you get as deep as possible in the set. Now I would say you should probably be doing commander stuff, and uh, they are. So can't blame them. 
All right, cards themselves, starting in white, Sarah Paragon. Two dub-dub, three-four, creature angel flying. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. I like that there's like a theoretical instant payoff on this card where you just put it down and then immediately drop a land. I think that is hard to do in a lot of contexts. It won't always be present. I think the bonus text on this, the permanent put into graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life is weird and sort of annoying to track, honestly. There's um, a lot of stuff like that in this set, though. Yeah, and I, I think that's like probably part concession to Arena, part concession to, well, we've done a bunch of other weird, impossible stuff to track, so may as well keep doing it at this point. And it, it hasn't affected us negatively so far, so uh, we're going to definitely see this happen several times throughout I, I think this is the type of card, though, that like has a bunch of words on it, gets people pretty excited because there is a really nice value return, but ultimately, it's just not all that exciting. Like it, It's fine, it's interesting, maybe a sideboard tool, but it's it's not accomplishing much, it's not changing the flow of the game all that much, and pretty medium on it. I think there are spots where, you know, like on turn six or turn seven, you get to play this and another thing, and it feels kind of good, but... Still pretty slow and not really what a lot of the formats have been about. And yeah, you could do kind of like the tireless tracker thing where you could just jam it on curve and hope it's fine. Or you could wait until you get like the land drop value from it or something. But this is still like not nearly as good or threatening as as something like tracker. And the stats are fine, like three, four flyer for four. It's okay. But yeah, I I would need something like an Oketra's Monument white creature based deck to want to do anything with this and we will we will see if we get there i suppose but i don't think so what's interesting is that i i wanted to note this card just because cards like this in standard and you i don't blame you if you don't know this most people have checked out a standard but cards like this have actually been succeeding in standard right now things like um, i don't know like edgar markov like slower uh, recursive type threats that bring extra value with them. They're well, doing pretty well in the standard environment. So I, I think they bear more attention than they usually would, but I still think this is a little bit further down on the curve and, and not something I'm very interested in. Edgar is just four mana investment. Like you want to play it on curve though. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, for yeah. sure. I, I'm just talking more like, like big bulky kind of clunky things that yeah persist over time. Sure, but uh, you know what I mean, though, right? Where th- those two cards are way different. Like, you get way more for four mana from Edgar than you do from this card. Agreed. Agreed. So, th- this being like, oh, it like scales super well into, I don't know, getting like a Rafine back or something, you know, Kaito, something like that. It's yeah. like, I mean, sure, that's okay, but this thing up until that point doesn't accomplish a whole lot. So. Yeah, maybe if there's another good three mana planeswalker, you could start talking about it. But who's going to get anything like that? Oh yeah. Uh, next up, Valiant Veteran, one dub, two two creature core soldier. Other soldiers you control get plus one plus one. Three dub dub exile this from your graveyard. Put a plus one plus one counter on each soldier you control. Good text, reasonable stat line. I think the graveyard thing is whatever. Basically, the the thing that makes it so I can't talk about this is that I have not googled what soldiers. On standard. Same, but as far as just like pretty vanilla lords go, this is good text yep. for one in a color that often does very well with this. So worth tracking. 
Yeah, and it, I mean, there are there are always things that pop up where it's like, oh, well, if you're making a soldier card, clearly there's going to be like some soldier support. And then you go on Scryfall and there's like three soldiers or something. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah, uh, that has definitely happened before. And I, I've said things like that. Well, like, obviously, that means they're going to be soldiers. So I'm not going to say that here. Yeah, there, will, there's, there is another good soldier in this set, at least. So there's a little bit of backup and there's there's probably more. But we'll wait till we have all of it before. we really I'd be, I'd be careful. Be careful with that. There's probably more. Yeah, I've, I've been burned, man. Yeah, I understand. Leyline Binding, 5-dub, Enchantment, Flash, Domain. This spell costs one less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. When this enters the battlefield, exile, target non-land permanent and opponent controls until this leaves the battlefield. So this is this is rare. This does the same thing as cast out, correct? Uh, yep. But doesn't cycle. Yep. And I guess if you have two land types which should probably be pretty easy, you know, if you're playing blue-white or whatever. Yeah, here's the thing about all these domain cards is that we have triomes. So I I think that changes all of them pretty dramatically. Yeah. So any any triome deck that is looking to play Leyland Binding, you're basically getting, like, Flash Oblivion Ring, which is an okay deal, can the, theoretically get cheaper. The awkward thing, though, is, like, if you're playing triomes, it means, like, you're locked in on the triome and, like, a bunch of non-basics that are not basics i mean there is one in the set that that does matter for sure yep yes like, there it, is basically if you're two colors and you get to run some triomes then that's helpful but you know what i mean playing three colors all dual lands means that you're you have to draw a triome in order to enable these things yeah i i guess like the eight triome decks are, are totally fine with that right yeah i'm if you can play like some four color thing or even i don't know basically just like splashing and a pseudo off-color triome to make some domain cards better, then I'm down with that. Yep. One of the really cool things about this card uh, is its combination with Enigmatic Incarnation. If you're able to play this very cheaply, you can now start looking at some sevens that just will take over the game. And I actually think that's a really big deal for a deck that is somewhat close to being very competitive in formats like Pioneer, like maybe even Modern should it get one or two pieces uh, there's also things like Nylea's Presence. I saw Michael Jacob tweet about this, where you can actually cheat on your domain and just make this a one-mana card. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that goes well with the Enigmatic Incarnation engine. So I am quite interested in that combination of cards and, and want to take a look at that. But I think this will just be a fine card in the format as well, as long as Triumphs are present. Yeah, it. I, I feel like you know, you're not going to draw your Triumph and then you're going to have this like five or six mana like kind of awful card in your hand, but it also does make deck building kind of interesting. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm stoked to figure out this puzzle, even if my instinct is it's probably going to be like pretty awkward and cumbersome and standard. Yeah, my guess is not a staple, but a key card in some spots. Like that's kind of where I have this card falling right now. Yeah, I can see that. Next up, Danitha, Benalia's Hope, 4-dub, four 4-4, four, four, Legendary Creature, Human Knight. First Strike, Vigilance, Lifelink. When this enters the battlefield, you may put an aura or equipment from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield attached to this. It's good cheating. I mean, it's it's very possible to hammer this thing up, or you know, you can go back to like Eldrazi Conscription stuff, or there's other ridiculous auras out there where this might just enable a new combo deck five is a little expensive no haste or anything like that but you can possibly get that from your aura in some scenarios so you know there'll they'll be decks built around this do i think they're good i have no idea i would have to again do the the scryfall search and see if there's anything really interesting to get up to with this card 
Yeah, there were the Stormseeker decks, not Stormseeker, yep. whatever. Oh, I think Storm that's right. Storm's Herald. Oh, Storm's Herald, yeah. yeah. Stormseeker is a green card from Legends, right? Yeah, Sudden Impact. Yep, damage equal to cards in hand. So yeah, five, five's a bit much, especially because the Storm's Herald deck was... Uh, you have like this three mana card, right? <laughs> like it, it should be so much easier, so much better, but... Yeah, redundancy is a big deal, though, so... Yeah, I suppose. I mean, that's what Unearth is for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Anointed Peacekeeper, 2-dub, 3-3, three, three, Creature Human Cleric, Vigilance. So much text. Uh, as this enters the battlefield, look at an opponent's hand, then choose any card name. Spells your opponent's cast with the chosen name. Cost two more to cast. Activated abilities of sources with the chosen name. <laughs> cost two more to activate unless they're mana abilities. I mean, it's, it's just on its face, Gerald. I don't know. I don't know what your problem is. Very, uh, very clear, uh, succinct card that uh, is doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot of words. I like Paulo's card better. Me too. Uh, I think it is a cleaner implementation of this idea, a more powerful implementation, better body. But, you know, we take the tools we're given. We see how important this disruptive three drop has been throughout its time in standard. And I imagine this will have to fill some pretty big shoes by replacing Paulo's card, so I expect this to see play. Ugh. Ugh. All right. A lot of reading to do. Temporary lockdown. One dub-dub enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less until this leaves the battlefield. There are some cards, uh, like all these kicker cards, they have off-color kickers, and then that basically adds like a spell to the card. And then things like our friend Anointed Peacekeeper that just has a lot of text that is like very carefully tweaked and tuned as far as like you know this thing costs two more and if this thing's mana value is three or less or what you know and then lockdown is just like pretty clean and nice you know it does have yep. a restriction or whatever but it's like this this card is clean it's a nice little pyroclasm thing it's like a not messed up version of the alchemy card which is cool mm-hmm. uh so i'm here for it yeah good effect to have in i think multiple formats a lot of decks are going to be looking at this really, really wide net, especially where you get to formats where things are costed very cheaply and you want to answer multiple types of permanents. So I, I think this is an exciting card. And like you said, a very clean, nice implementation of this type of effect. Defiler of Faith, 3-dub-dub, 5-5, five, five, Creature, Phyrexian Human, Vigilance. Uh, so there's there's one of these in each color, right? It basically, for, so for the color it is, so for example, this one is white. It gives all of your white permanent spells a Phyrexian ability, where instead of paying a white mana symbol, they can pay two life. Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to say that blanket statement instead of saying all the text. Does that work? Is that clear? I, I will I will allow that, yes. Okay, so five mana, five, five vigilance. All your white permanent spells have a Phyrexian thing instead of a white mana symbol. One Phyrexian thing. I read that wrong the first time, which is why I Yeah. Decided, yep. Whenever you cast a white permanent spell, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. Pretty tame compared to the other ones, I will say. I, I agree. There, there's your, like, Oketra's Monument type effect, which is interesting. I, like, I was more so looking at, like, you know, mid-range, white value creature deck with, like, the cost reduction thing to make the angel a little bit more palatable. Not, like, oh, make a token. Sure, sure. Fair <laughs> enough. I was, I was looking at the good part of the card, not the bad one. But. <laughs> yeah. You're right that this is probably the most tame. I don't know if we've seen all of them at this point, but this is one that is very much lower on the excitement scale for me. But some of these effects, man, I I, I think are going to be very, very exploitable. And I am open to the idea that 
all of them can be exploitable in the right scenarios. Like you just line up the right mix of permanents and these could do some very degenerate things in the right spot just because they're cost reduction. I mean, we've seen it too many times and it's also blanket cost reduction applied across a bunch of things. So, you know, I, I don't think this is the play pattern, but it's, it's very possible to just like play this and then you have seven white one drops in your hand and you just vomit your hand onto the table. And yeah. That doesn't really work with like the play pattern here, but if you are capable of doing things like that, you have to pay attention to it because if you find a combination of cards that really thrives on that, these are the type of cards that can just break the game in half. So I think they're all worth tracking. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also weird stuff where it's like you have this one drop that's like ETB gain three life, and then is there another thing that just like is a gating card or yep. something, right? Yep, all of them have potential to just like create weird cycles and create weird combos and... That's that's why cost reduction is so scary because it allows things that are like carefully gated behind an expense to just all of a sudden be free. And when you make everything free, anything's possible. Yeah, this is why, I don't know, back in the day, there's like Prodigal Sorcerer, like at common ruining limited formats and making things like white blue, just not a real archetype because red would just have access to this thing that would like kill all your merfolk looters and small creatures and whatever. And it's just like, if you just put a mana gate on any of those abilities, yep. it it just stops them from feeling unfair. And then all of the stuff that is just like tap to do a thing, well, that generally ends up getting broken when you have like ways to untap stuff or whatever. Just like gate things. Don't don't make things that remove the gates. That's kind of weird. No gates ever. Unless unless you want people to be able to do busted stuff. Which, no, and, you know, and, at that point, who cares? And and they do. I, I think quite frankly, like part of like the appeal of commander formats is just like doing these big ridiculous things and so and, and i think correctly so by the way i think that yeah. is like a huge important part of the game i'm not for just like everything needs to be vanilla slam your creatures into each other i, I think it's very important it's just they always come with a risk and that's why i highlight these cards i think they are very risky cards and all have potential uh i guess splinter twin is like the best example right where it's just like oh give this like tap to make a a copy or whatever it's like you just put like you know one, one. tap on it yep. it's it's fine and some people would argue the current implementation is fine as well. Whatever. Uh, okay, on to blue. You skipped a card, though. Did I? Yeah, you skipped my last white card, which I, which I alluded to earlier, so I can't let you go. Oh, is it a soldier? It is a soldier, yes. It's, it's Guardian of New Benalia. All right, ooh. Rare, and it costs two. Okay, it's a one dub, two, two. Uh, creature, human, soldier, enlist. As this creature attacks... Uh, you <laughs> get to read in Gerald. Let's go. As this creature attacks, you may tap a non-attacking creature you control without summoning sickness. When you do, add its power to this creature's until end of turn. This is just a mechanic in the set. When Guardian New Benalia enlists a creature, scry two, discard a card. This card gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. That, that's it. It's it. I mean, what are you going to say? It's a fine two drop that protects itself very well, can grow a little bit, filters your deck. I think it does a bunch of stuff. Free discard outlet for things like, you know, Parhelion decks, an older format where you're trying to set that up, Grease Fang stuff. I think this card will probably see some play there. It also scribes while you're doing this stuff. So you can get a few cards deeper and find your combo pieces. I just think this is a really solid, solid inclusion with a lot of words on it. How, how often does Enlist actually do something? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think like it depends on if that's what you're building around or if you need like the 
you know, you're more focused on like getting the discard ability. I, I think it's like probably more of a bonus than. No, no, no I'm not even talking about this card specifically. I'm talking about in general, right? Because it's like, okay, I have either this value creature that I don't want to get into combat, in which yeah. case cool enlist is just a, a happy value add a way to make use of the fact that this card has power and toughness that you wouldn't otherwise be utilizing. But the I so enlist on this card makes sense because you can give this thing indestructible. You, exactly. But, I, I normally, think it all depends on what the card does like does that's enlisting something. Like how good are the abilities that are on the enlisting card? Yeah. But my my problem is like, okay, so you have this thing that's like off to the corner not doing anything. Either because, you know, maybe it's a two two and they have a three three, or because it's a value creature that you don't want to lose, maybe it's your lord or something, and then you attack with something, enlist the thing, and then the the enlist creature dies in combat and then I don't you just can't like enlist anymore you know what I mean it's just like you get to do this thing once and then it it, it just like increases the the probability of stuff trading which is why I like the indestructible thing on this right yeah no so your like, assessment's spot on and it really all depends on like what I I could think of creative ways that like the enlist ability becomes interesting as just like vanilla enlist it's pretty lame honestly so you have to sort of filter it through something interesting. Right, but then that means it will mostly exist at like higher rarities because you need abilities on the card. I mean, whatever, man. I I don't know. I mean, every card in the set has just fucking abilities I, all over it. I, so. I know. I know. And then there's things like like if you look at the basic implementation, you go down to uncommon, you see Coalition Sky Knight, and this is a three colorless white creature, human knight, two two flying enlist. So just designed to get some evasion damage through. Uh, you know, that's a pretty basic application of it. That's somewhat interesting. And I imagine things like that will often be the use case. But then there's things like our Gyvian Cavalier, which is the common implementation at white, two colorless, white, creature, orc, knight, enlists. When this enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. So, like, eh, this could just be a 3-3. Three, three. Like, I don't, I don't find this all that interesting, quite frankly. Yeah. Okay, blue cards. I, I I feel like my subconscious was on point for trying to skip that card. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Because maybe we just don't talk about enlist at all. That's great. Uh, Ether Channeler. It would be nice, yeah. E- Ether Channeler, 2U, 2-1, creature human wizard. When this enters the battlefield, choose one. Create a 1-1 one, one white bird creature token with flying. Return another target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Draw a card. What was the card that looked just like this that people were very excited about and was just terrible? It was black. It was it was two, it was two oh, colors okay. black, and then did okay, like listen. three stupid things. It, it was like a bad Phyrexian Ranger. Phyrexian yeah. Rangers in the set. Yeah, and I, I think it was three mana two one make a pest. You know, draw one, lose one, or something, and then some other crappy ability. Right, banish a card from a graveyard or something. Yeah, maybe this this has just straight up draw a card. Oh, this is way better, infinitely this, better. I, I just think it's funny how hyped people got about that card and how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, that that card was not really on my radar for anything. Return another target non-land permanent. It's not even just creature, right? No, that's, that's a big swing. It's, it's just any permanent because you do things like uh, Reflector Mage, for example, where it feels kind of bad when your opponent doesn't have creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Playing against a control deck or like mid-range deck that basically only had Kalidus, so it was like very hit or miss or... If you're playing humans in modern or, you know, something in pioneer or whatever, like there are plenty of decks that just don't have a lot of creatures. And this is just like permanent. 
It's so much better, but you, you just also have the draw card thing too, even if they were somehow dead. This is a yeah. human, it's a wizard, great creature types. Can't imagine making a bird very often, but damn. That evasive damage could be quite good in late game scenarios. I, I just love this card. It, it does a lot of very cool things. I won't let it trick me into playing Collected Company, but like some people will, and that, mm, that'll be mm. fun, and they'll enjoy that. So, yeah, I I think this is just such a contrast to that last like choose three things because I love these modes on this card, and I'm quite excited to play with this. Vidalion Hexcatcher, one U one one creature, Merfolk Wizard, Flash. Other Merfolk you control get plus one plus one. Sacrifice a Merfolk counter target non creature spell unless its controller pays one. Love this. This is, this is it, Gerald. This is this is the moment. All these... I'm not going to say that. All these merfolk devotees who have just slaved away playing this horrible, horrible deck. Now, finally, they get to be rewarded and move into the upper echelons of magic where they so rightly belong. Flash is interesting. 1-1 one, one instead of 2-2 two, two is kind of sad. This doesn't add Island Walk or whatever, but you have plenty of things for that. Everything becomes a curse catcher, even though I think curse catcher just ended up getting cut from a decent amount of lists, depending on what era you were playing in or whatever. But this is good. It's not like Merfolk needed more lords or whatever, but this is disruptive and a lord and has flash. So if you're talking about modern specifically, I mean, you have actual counterspell and whatnot. So I don't know. Like this, this is good. I'm not the unpredictability. I, I was obviously being a little facetious with my uh, pumping yeah. this card up, but the unpredictability of this is a really big deal. And I, I think that's kind of what Merfolk could be very face up at times. I think yes. this card adds a lot of complications to every single turn you play against it. So it, it is legitimately exciting. Yeah, not enough to move the needle to get me to want to play some Merfolk, but you know. Right there with you. Uh, next up, Hottie Jin. One UU. Uh, X4. I really like the way you say the name of this card, by the way. Can you help <laughs> one more time? Uh, no. You can, you can hit rewind if you want to hear it again. Uh, star 4, Creature Jin, flying. This thing's power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Instant sorceries you cast cost one less to cast. So Enigma Drake? Yeah. Plus? Plus. Easier to cast, harder to cast? How you feel? It depends. I mean, it's, it's all contextual, but like... I, this card seems very real to me and, and very powerful and frankly exciting in a lot of decks that have previously used things like Enigma Drake. And, you know, that's often been an important part of standard when you have that ability. I think this ability reaches very well back to older formats. You kind of like the types of decks that are looking at this card are sort of just rich with options at this point. There's so many good things to choose from, but... I'd be surprised to see zero play. I mean, this is just such a powerful effect to have on this type of card. I was not an Enigma Drake believer. I will say that. It failed the test of three mana creature that didn't immediately impact the battlefield, but it did the Knight of the Reliquary thing where sometimes it was just big enough that they couldn't kill it. So it did kind of have like pseudo ward sort of stuff. So depending on format context, it can pass the test. Yeah, I think also like this play pattern on four is very different as well, right? Because you yes. potentially have disruption when you play this uh, with three and one up. And I, I think that's a really, really big change in sort of the game state flow. And then from that point, if you untap at that point, then you have disruption always. And you're benefiting from this discount and you have this huge body. So things can snowball really quickly from that point. Yeah, uh, I love... Hinata plus Negate or whatever. And yeah, yeah I could see yeah. this playing out in a similar fashion. Enigma Absolutely. Drake also had like dive down sometimes 
So this this kind of does the same thing. Yeah, I, I think this is a very exciting card. Uh, Vidalian Mind Singer, 1UU, 2-2, Creature Merfolk Wizard, Kicker, 1R and or 1G. This enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it for each time it was kicked. And when this enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature with power less than this thing's power for as long as you control this. This card rocks. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of good uses for this card. Even in like base form, I think it's often quite good. Yeah. Totally acceptable. But when you get to kick this and start taking like really threatening stuff, I don't don't know. I'm, I'm into this card. I think it has a lot of upside. And as things are more sort of mid-range focused these things become very very impactful so yes. I, I think this will see some play i played mind flayer you know yeah yeah and i feel like you're you know they're gonna play like a gala greeters or something and you're just gonna be like that's mine now uh so i i, I love this card absolutely yeah, love it. that that's a really nice on curve exchange and i think there'll be several of those you know if there's any kind of like mana accelerate this card becomes very important so into this for sure yeah, this is one of those cards where I'm just like, they, they made this just for me and for the decks that I like to play. And I can't believe that it is as good as it reads, you know? Enjoy. Uh, thanks. Hopefully I actually get some standard tournaments. We'll see. Uh, next up, Defiler of Dreams. 3UU, 4-3 creature, Phyrexian Sphinx. You know what that means? The fun Phyrexian text. Uh, flying. And then whenever you cast a blue permanent spell, draw a card. Yeah. So like, I feel like I'm just like always on hold for the green one. Like the green one is the one that I actually really want to talk about. And I think is potentially very, very silly, but these all can be so, so good. And and so game breaking, honestly, it's just about finding the right collection of permanents. And everything I said about Defiler of Faith is just amplified with this card because you're actually just replacing itself. And if you find the right combination of cards, there's no question. There is some kind of loop combo you win the game thing you can get up to with this well you can load up your deck with your beloved sage of epiteers excellent and then i always know it's coming next so yeah and just pop off is there like a a blue gating card things i'm thinking of are like cavern harpy sadisi's faithful type of stuff but just like you know you bounce one of your own permanents or whatever there's gotta be right uh there's like the exploit one yeah that's sadisi's that's sadisi's faithful yeah but that has the sacrifice clause, so that's not going to work. I feel like there's one that just, you know, like bounce a, a permanent you own or whatever. Yeah, I would have to do a search. But uh, but even if that, it's no, not... That's exactly it, though. There's there's always, like, something that's very innocuous, and then, like, this card comes along and just blows it up. Right. So, I don't know. There's, there's that kind of combination for leading back to older formats. But I think just even as, like, a value card, all right, maybe, maybe this is okay. It depends on the blue permanence, I think. I think that's what sort of held me back a little bit on this, just because you expect to be playing more like instant sorcery stuff if you're in blue. But if you have the right blue permanence, then sure. Yeah. Founding the Third Path. One U Enchantment Saga. Uh, read ahead. Choose a chapter and start with that many lore counters. Add one after your draw step. Skip chapters, don't trigger. Sacrifice after chapter three. Yeah, so it started on chapter one. You can start wherever you want, and then you don't do the older ones, right? Right. Okay. Chapter one. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value one or two from your hand without paying its mana cost. 
Chapter 2, target player mills four cards. Chapter 3, exile, target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it, you may cast the copy. Uh, I kind of like that chapter 1 is, well, if you want to do this thing anyway, that, that kind of makes up for having to waste mana to cast this card. Mm-hmm. Chapter 2 kind of sets up chapter 3. Mm-hmm. But chapter 3 is like, kind of nice. I mean, I played... Mizzic's mastery nonsense in historic or whatever, right? Yeah. That's powerful. And this is two mana. You could skip right to it if you want to. I mean, I think this card is just gas. I, th- I think it's value basically at every step. And, you know, chapter two looks innocuous, but four cards in the bin are that that's very useful for a lot of strategies. There's also a lot of stuff here that like scales off of X number of cards in your graveyard, which this card obviously benefits from the selection engine that you're going to have in the late game is quite impactful where you're just able to uh, get paid. And, you know, if you need a removal spell, you have a removal spell. If you have, uh, I don't know. I, I think this card is very generous for what it does. The read ahead stuff sort of obscures that it's just like good on its face. Like imagine playing this alongside something like explore and like you're just doing explore stuff and you're setting mm. up really well for the future and then at some point you either get another explore and like go really far and deep or you get your payoff card should it be an instant or sorcery via finding the third path i mean uh, that setup seems really promising to me especially for like the the middle of the pack formats things like pioneer i could see you getting up to a lot of degenerate things with founding the third path so so I had a moment where I was like, what is going to be in standard after rotation? I knew it started with Innistrad. Uh, Then, yeah, Kamigawa and Streets. So I was thinking, like, this would be a nice uh, secondary engine to, like, the Hinata stuff, but Magma Opus is actually rotating. You're right. Right. maybe, Maybe there is something along those lines where there's, like, a big card that is easy enough to get into the graveyard. And if not, I mean, yeah, maybe you just play this for value or uh, maybe it's just not a standard card, but either way, like the text is pretty appealing. Yeah, I agree. Joint exploration. One, you instant kicker G scry to you, then draw a card. If the spell was kicked, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So one G U scry to draw a card, uh, growth spiral basically at instant. It's silly to compare the cards because one of them is going to be legal. The other one's not. And the other one was very good. But it's like this. This is not great compared to Gross Spiral. Right. But I think you would still play Gross Spiral for three anyway, especially with Scry 2. A lot of the times, like the second Gross Spiral, for example, uh, was in danger of not being able to like actually accelerate you. And this basically just ensures that you're going to be able to hit that that extra land if you want it, or if you're just, you know, digging for gas, you just don't even have to kick this. That's fine too. Yep. I I think growth spiral was legitimately broken. So making worse growth spiral is completely acceptable. I think this on turn two, where like you get to scry to and find your third land drop is actually a huge, huge thing because decks that use effects like this are just built around like never miss a land drop. If you do, you die. All you're trying to do is hit this threshold of, you know, back then it was five mana for, nissa this still kind of does that and also scries to your nissa so if there's like a five mana thing that you're just trying to get to on turn four this could set you up very very well to do that this card still seems very important to me you're right that it's way worse 
I don't think that matters at all. And I think this card is entirely playable and probably important in the next format. Uh, yeah, bas- basically my point to you. I think that Grow Spiral uh, required like specific decks and we just had a bunch of tools for those. It's possible that we just don't end up with those tools, but given the way that things have gone, I don't think that we've really had a shortage for them. And the fact that stuff like Grow Spiral or Joint Exploration exist kind of makes it so you look at what you can do with those cards. Also what I think about this card in Lotus Field too. I think it has some potential there. Mm, all right. I'm not going to think about that. That's fine. Okay. All right. Protecting the negotiators. One U instant kicker dub. If this spell was kicked, make a one, one white creature soldier token counter target spell. Unless it's controller pays one for each creature you control. I like this sort of effect in theory, but I also think that for the most part, you can just have better options like better sideboard counter spells better main deck counter spells it's possible that unified well exists right yeah for older formats for sure it's possible that like you just don't have them or you know maybe this is like a slightly better main deck spell or something if you wanted this sort of thing main it, it is an option but i do think it's a little bit weak agree wouldn't shock me if it's used some play anyway though so I made I made the blue list. <laughs> I'm getting to the last card. I'm just like, I don't even remember what the hell this does. Uh, Tellurian Terror. I remember now. 6U, 5-5, Creature Serpent. This costs one less to cast for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. Ward 2, uh, Crypt Serpent. I think didn't do there. much. It didn't do much, but it was there. And we kind of built around it. And it, it felt like, okay. And it had the keyword big thing that got around some removal spells. And then you just realized that like Enigma Drake was better or whatever. Yep. But this thing has Ward 2. And if you get it uh, so that all the generic mana is gone, it's only one mana. Yep. Whereas Crypt yep. Serpent was two. So yep. I think that this has upside for the other versions of this thing that have come before it. But yeah, it requires a lot of things. It does, but I. it's really hard not to see, like, Gurmag Angler reflected in this card, I think. Like, just the way a lot of those decks are built and the way they're set up and the fact that you don't eat your your graveyard when you do this and you can just, like, chain multiple Talarian Terrors. I, I don't know. This, this card seems like it's there to be. It seems like it's going to be able to be played in these older formats. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about Writhing Necromass as well, which is basically the black version of this. It's six colorless, one black. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature in your graveyard. And then it's a 5-5 death touch. Again, like the Gurmag Angler comparisons, like this is a very specific, very narrow version of that effect. You have to be almost all creatures in your deck, but those decks exist. And they, they set up these types of uh, graveyards with, you know, a lot of consistency. So I think both of these cards, very generous, probably playable in older formats. And... They're going to be slept on because there are analogs that haven't hit. They've just come up a little bit soft. But I, I think these kind of figured out the secret sauce and have enough text where they're both going to be viable in their roles. Talarian Terror seems okay to me. We'll talk about Necromass when we get there. But the short version is I have played those decks and I think that those effects mostly stink. But they've always been worse, right? Like they've, they've always been just a tiny bit worse than these, I think. Eh, I don't know. Think about like Molder Hulk. Yeah, saw some play. Not in decks that won games. No, correct. But it also costs two. Like two versus one is 
double the cost. It's it's a lot I more, understand. and you couldn't I reduce below one. So I understand. All right, on to black. We'll get there eventually. It's at the bottom, bottom for a reason. Liliana of the Veil, one BB, three starting loyalty, legendary planeswalker Liliana, plus one. Each player discards a card. Minus two, target player sacrifices a creature. Minus six, separate all permanents. Target player controls into two piles. That player sacrifices all permanents in the pile of their choice. Awesome card. Was pretty good in standard the first time around. Was going to be in M13 until Adam Prozac uh, actually did some playtesting and got it removed from the set. And that was a good thing because that was like mono black devotion, pack rat, thoughtsies era. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely a point where Wizards had decided, hey, this is too good for standard, and now it's back, and I'm not I'm not like mad. I'm nope. like I'm I'm excited to play with this card again because it's mo- it's been outmoded in modern for the most part, right? You know, look at the quality of just playable cards in all of the, the sets that are gonna be legal in standard, right? The Innerstrods, Neo, Streets, and then this set too, like they're they're all bangers, you know. There's no shortage of powerful things to be doing. Every, yeah. every card has another card stapled to the back of it. Every card does multiple things. Every card is above rate. I think that's a completely fine world to bring Liliana back into. I have I have no qualms about this being in standard. It, it's probably very good. Uh, I'm excited to build some decks around it and try and exploit it as much as possible. But I. It doesn't seem out of line to me. It seems completely reasonable given everything else that's going on in standard. So Yeah, I agree. There there was definitely a time where seeing this in a standard set would get like a vomit emoji from me or something, but mm-hmm. now I'm just stoked. Yep. I agree. Uh Shieldred of the Apocalypse, two BB four five, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. Why is this on the list? Because I wanted to talk about how not exciting it is. Oh. Like, <laughs> why doesn't this do more? Like, I just expect so much more from this slot and, like, a Shieldred, which is a pretty important card. And It's I, a Praetor and a Mythic and, like, a story-relevant thing. And Yeah, may, maybe it's, like, supposed to just be a Commander card, right? And everyone at the table is supposed to lose two life, and that's why it's more exciting. But I, I don't know. I looked at it, and I was like, what are we doing here? This is just so tame for this slot it's like here here are black mythics liliana of the veil and this random four or five death touch creature that is just it pales in comparison to so many things that exist not only like in the world of magic but just in standard so i i don't know this is a weird one all right so this is this is where i suck as a a game developer right where you tell me what do you do to make this card exciting or playable or whatever your goals are Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know. You give me multiple choice and I can pick one that best suits your goals pretty easily. So I need an ideas person with me and then I can make the choice. Yeah. So, but for this one, you could just have it be like ETB, like each player draws a card or whatever. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's just like so siloed, right? Like it doesn't actually do anything in and of itself. It just kind of affects the broader game. So right. just like let it immediately affect the game. And then I think it becomes exciting. Yeah. And I think that that's an easy way to do it. Now, if you want to talk about like, is that black color pie or whatever? It's like, I, I don't know. Kind of. I mean, there's the, the like both players, you know, draw X, lose X sort of stuff. Like, I don't think it's out of line, but. You know, I don't th- I don't think so either. I, th- I think drawing cards here would be totally fine for everyone. And they didn't, they didn't ask me to make the card. So yeah, this is what we got. 
Drag to the bottom. 2BB, sorcery, domain. Each creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is one plus the number of basic land types among lands you control. Again, I was looking at this mainly through the lens of like two color deck. And is this going to be online or like, are there going to be like a bunch of evolving wilds? And can we do actual domain things? Kind of weird when there's BB in the casting cost, but whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, triomes change everything. But then again, if you don't draw your your one triome, is this card actually going to do anything? So yeah, we, we probably are looking at like eight triome decks, right? Yep, I think it has to be in a four-color deck. Otherwise, this card is sort of underwhelming. But once you hit that four-color deck, I I do think this card is quite good. Exact same position as Leyline Binding, where like it's not supposed to be a broad staple. It's kind of a niche tool, but will be powerful in those niche spots. I, I like sweepers. I think four-mana sweepers mostly get beat up by like flashcards and any sort of interaction or dies triggers even etb triggers weirdo like vehicles and planeswalkers and stuff so like i'm not really looking to start with like a four mana sweeper as my build around for a new format or anything but good card to have yep i agree defiler reflects 2bb 4-4 creature phyrexian horror menace so this is the black phyrexian thing Whenever you cast a black permanent spell, target creature you control gets plus one, plus one, and gains menace until end of turn. Man, draw a card is so much better than, like, plus one, plus one. It's a big gap, but I I also think, like, if you think about the context under which this card will be played, like, this gives me some sort of hatred-esque vibes. Like, if if you find your source elsewhere to put cards in your hand, which we can talk about in a little bit, and you're just loaded up with cheap you know, one mana beat down black creatures of which there are some decent options in standard right now. And then you sort of use this as like a fireball in some spots and other spots. It's just like, you know, it's fine to just like have a value card that makes all of your other creatures bigger and evasive and also comes with a decent four, four menace body attached to it. So I, I think this is like the least breakable version of these defilers but also the one that seems like it could just be played fair and be very acceptable in a lot of black aggressive decks right yeah that that's how i want to look at it too is like is is there a mono black or like nearly mono black aggro deck does this slot in well enough there i don't like that this doesn't really give you any sort of value i mean i do like the fact that like if you play this and then have a one drop left over then you you like that counts like you get value from that especially if you're then getting in some extra damage with the plus one plus one and menace with a thing that you already had in play so yep. i could see this being reasonable but i also feel like maybe there are better four drops maybe but maybe true hard to say next card good god stronghold arena 1b enchantment kicker g and or dub when this enters the battlefield you gain three life for each card it was kicked and whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand. If you do, you lose life equal to its mana value. Brian, do you have any idea how many times I've played like a black based mid-range or aggro deck that sideboarded like Treasure Map or Argul's yep. Bloodfast or yep. whatever, just like tried to be able to beat control in the post-board games. And it's just, holy crap, this card is good. Yeah, it makes every single creature you draw for the rest of the game a tremendous threat. Things snowball really hard if you just like one drop, two drop, and are just curving out early and your opponent's not really ready to interact with you. Uh, things get out of control very quickly. 
obviously your like life total is under threat from this card, but that's you're considering that. Like, I, I don't know that this is just like a main deck staple where you just jam it everywhere, but it's such a good sideboard tool for those spots where you need to be able to find more card advantage and sort of just weather the storm of your control opponent. Exactly like you said, that this seems like a really important tool for standard. Yeah, Pioneer, there would have been a time when this would have been awesome in mono black aggro. Mm-hmm. I think that that deck has mostly been outmoded, but there are even some black-based human decks, for example, yeah. where, where maybe this no, is true. good enough. True. And then for things like Historic, playing the various, you know, Rakdos mid-range decks or whatever, I, I was looking at, you know, Phyrexian Arena type stuff, like just legit Phyrexian Arena cards. And I think for the most part, this, this sort of card is way better. Yeah. Two versus three is a big difference. And then, I mean, do you think there's any upside to the modality, like getting the kicker stuff where you just like gain six against a mono red opponent? Yeah, I mean, if you if you have that available to you, then sure. I'm mostly looking at it as a black card, maybe a black red card, but white black? Yeah, that's going to come up with like humans and stuff for sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, just get a little boost of life. Not too bad. So, I mean, there's there's this card, and then there's, like, the Threads of Disloyalty-esque Merfolk, right? I'm just like, oh, yeah. We- it's, it's also interesting this is a May ability, too. Like, that's kind of rare for this type of effect. Usually True. you're just, like, and the Punisher from this thing and losing a bunch of life. You just don't have to reveal. Yeah, I think I like when it is a Punisher thing, but mm-hmm. also I definitely don't want games to get to a a spot where you're just like disincentivizing people. Never attacking. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I think it makes sense here. Extra words on the card for sure, which is kind of awkward, but I think we kind of crossed that bridge with a lot of the stuff in the set anyway. So whatever, extra words on all the cards. Who cares? Magic in general has, has crossed that bridge. Uh, I guess, I guess the May thing is worse for digital. Yeah. It's only happening once per turn. I don't think it's that bad. I would live with that in this case. Every turn, though. Every turn. Yeah. I mean, ho- hopefully every turn, I guess. Maybe yeah. not every turn. But I don't know. If if you were like digital constraints or making it so maybe there's a game state where people just stop attacking because they're a too low life or whatever, I think I would still just go with the digital thing. I would probably remove the May text. Interesting. But obviously I could be wrong. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, card's great. I'm very, very excited. Card was made for me. Uh, Braids, Arisen Nightmare, 1BB, 3-3, Legendary Creature Nightmare. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice an artifact creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker. If you do, each opponent may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with it. For each opponent who doesn't, that player loses two life, and you draw a card. I wanted to like this card so bad. (sighs) It's just just not there. I, I hate that the opponent gets the choice, and... It, it's just not braids. Like braids was such like, look, I'm not saying bring, bring back braids. That wasn't, that was not good gameplay, but like such a terrifying punishing card. And like, so iconic, I think to that era. And this just kind of misses for me. I'm a little disappointed. The very first individual PTQ I won was with braids cabal minion. Nice. Nice. So also a braids fan among us. I have fond memories of braids. I would not, necessarily say that i'm a braids fan but yeah I'm, I'm kind of a braids fan yeah and i i like it when you know they're they're bringing back these characters and everything and these are different cards for sure it's not like oh they brought back braids and made it worse 
just definitely doing different stuff. And yeah, I, I want to like this because I like sacrifice synergies. Braids is cool, whatever. But yeah, this 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 just doesn't do it for me. Same page. Uh, Evolve Sleeper is good. We already talked about that one. Yep. What about Shieldred's Restoration? Is Shieldred's Uncommon Spell going to be better than the card itself? Uh, Probably. Three B sorcery, kicker two dub. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. If the spell was kicked, you gain life equal to that card's mana value. Otherwise, you lose that much life. Okay. And then exile this. So zombify with big downside, but maybe big upside for like infinity mana. Yeah. We just like don't get zombify anymore either. Like we almost always have to pay five for it. Yeah. So I think getting four is a big deal. I don't I don't have anything to do with it. I just know that a bunch of times in standard I've been like, oh, four mana reanimation is important, and I don't have it. So now I have it. Thank you. Well, Liliana of the Veil does curve into this quite well. Yep. And I built some admittedly very bad reanimator decks when we were kind of like struggling for content with, I don't know, like six mana Olivia into Cultivator Colossus type of stuff you know it's like there there are things to do there are a lot of exciting cards i could i could see situations maybe where you get to restoration a hall breaker horror or something and then it's it's just like not killable and you just kind of take over the game with it so sure i don't know maybe maybe paying seven's okay it could be uh and as you get to the late game maybe gaining seven is also okay and that's something you can play towards. I, like, I don't think it's your A plan, but it's, it's not a bad B plan if you're trying to play a longer, like, reanimator control type game. So, could be good. Pilfer with your boy Tiny Bones. Is that mm. why you put the card on the list? You made the uh, card. Yeah, I mean, that, that has a lot to do with it. But also, I just know how much you hate these effects, so I wanted oh, to make yeah. you talk about it. Dude, I was, I was going to mention that. 1B Sorcery, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. I remember when you brought up Thought Erasure and I was just like, no, absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. Why would you think that that would see play? And then I just played it all the time because mm-hmm. that's kind of how the format was. Uh, Context is everything. And uh, like these effects just matter a bunch. You hate them. I, still hate, I them. hate them. I want them to cost one mana. But like if the format is shaped in such a way where there's just like these huge haymakers, this goes really broad and gets a lot of things out of an opponent's hand. Pretty easy to cast, splash more in a bunch of spots. So this is an important card, whether you like it or not. Humiliate is the white-black one that saw some amount of play. And I don't I don't think it was that bad. And I do think a lot of the mid-range decks are kind of set up to be the Thought Erasure style sort of thing, where it's like you play mm-hmm. a Triome or some other tap land on one, you play a Discard Spell on two, and then you go like Rafine into Wanderer or whatever. I, I think that that's perfectly reasonable in lieu of playing a two drop that affects the board. So yep. I I'm seeing it now where this standard format, at least, you know, kind of what it looked like pre-rotation. And I don't really think that that has a whole lot of reason to change because most of the cards that we're seeing play were from the last four sets anyway. So I, th- I think Pilfer will see play. I think it is fine. I'm not happy about it. I think the art is cool. Tiny Bones is rad. I, I played in this pro tour where I played zombies and Marvel was the best deck. And we played these sideboard games with like four transgress the mind. Cause that was the one disruptive card that you had. And it was like, you got to get their marvels. And it was, it was just so bad. 
it was so bad that I only played two. And I, by the end of the, like in the finals, I didn't even board them in. I, I believe you. That's a very different context though than like it is absolutely generic mid rangey threat versus, you know, this thing that I don't know. It, it didn't really matter if you got like their first Marvel because they just would Marvel again. And the fact that you didn't kill them with your two drop was really what mattered. So, right. And I think that a, a lot of that context is true for most decks where a lot of times you're just better off playing to the board because you're spending, it often is. It often you're spending, is. Yeah. You're spending two mana to not affect the board at all. Right. Maybe you're getting their best card or something, but you're spending two mana to their nothing. And this is also a pretty bad top deck in a lot of instances. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of strikes against it. And if you have it on turn two in a deck that mostly starts at three mana, then sure, fine. You know, this plus uh drag to the bottom, I think is a perfectly fine setup. Or like, you know, pilfer Liliana drag to the bottom, whatever. So I'm just saying these cards are not as good as people think they are. I don't I don't really disagree, but you you play what you're given, basically, is, is what I come back to over and over. And if that's the tool we have, we'll probably use it. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> this this next card I had not seen at all. What the hell is this? Uh cut down, be instant, destroy target creature with total power and toughness five or less. This card's really good. Yeah, this is a banger of a removal spell. Multi format all star. I uh, maybe modern is tough right i think there's upside to this in modern like certainly there's a class of decks that are just always going to play fatal push instead uh there's very few things that this hits that fatal push activated does not um but there's some decks that like can't reliably turn on their fatal pushes not many but there's some so i think that is where this finds a home in modern but also it's just like efficient and answers the first threat your opponent plays and like always kills a Ragavan and fatal push does the same thing, obviously. So uh, there has to be some reason why you're looking at this card over that one. They'll be rare, but you know, as magic changes as a game and more and more time goes on, I'm sure we'll find more and more uses for cut down. And it just feels like this card's supposed to be in every format for a very long time. Standard. Yes. I think the power toughness stuff is pretty well confined. And then when you're talking about killing, whatever control finishers exist. Like, obviously this isn't going to do it, but something like Fatal Push won't do it either. You you won't expect that for your one mana removal spell. And if you're like, well, okay, then I'm going to play whatever Doomblade variant exists so that I have a little bit more flexibility. I mean, this is a very, very good sideboard card against aggressive decks. And then for Pioneer, enabling Fatal Push is really tough. So then you're looking at killing a two mana thing, whereas, you know, this this kills a lot more things in Pioneer than Fatal Push does, I think. But for modern, there's always the stuff like Death Shadow or whatever, whereas like you needed to play Fatal Push over Lightning Bolt specifically because there were things that were a little bit too big. So I don't think it's like straight up replacement for push or anything for modern specifically, but for Pioneer, I could honestly see that. Yeah, the, the question is, when is there going to be something with like a very high CMC that just like cheats itself into play, but still stays under the five power toughness threshold right and like needs this specific removal spell and i think that's when this becomes like tier one certainly second fiddle at this point but still a huge print nonetheless and uh, a very nice removal spell to have access to yeah very weird text but they do it in such a simplistic card that i really like it and it's also not really a, a knob that they've explored before right I agree. I think it's a really elegant design and a really cool one. Yeah. All right. Last up, 
your boy. Maybe not well, as yeah, high up as your boy Tiny Bones, far. but no, it's it's, it's your boy, writhing necromath, necromath six B five five creature zombie giant. This costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Death touch. Okay, so Molder Hulk comparisons aside, part of the problem with these decks are you need a lot of ways to put things in the graveyard, specifically creatures. So you need mm-hmm. like high creature count, and then a lot of the things that mill you really hard are not creatures. Yeah, this has to go alongside you know. Things like, oh my god, I, I can tell I have COVID brain because I'm blanking on like the most important Stitcher supplier. Black card, Stitcher supplier. How did, how does that fall out of my brain? That's an impressive one. Uh, yeah, things I mean, like Stitcher name, supplier. Name all the cards from the last Flesh and Blood set in set number order. You know, you could probably do that. Uh, I don't know that I can do anything right now. I, I'm telling you, my mental performance is at an all time low given uh, my illness. So fair. Anyway. Defend, defend your homie. Let's go. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. It, it's it's hard to defend. It it is like I don't think it's like a broken card or anything. But there are setups where you're thirty six creatures deep and using things like Stitcher Supplier as your fuel, and you know it's Stitcher Supplier into Vengevine setups or whatever nonsense you're trying to get up to. Like, is there value for a one cost threat? You know, is it a is it something that matters if you're playing like Dredge and you're able to cast this card from hand? And I, I don't know. It, it seems it seems like it's just too efficient and too good at what it does to never matter. But I agree. There's some historical precedent where these cards haven't really shined and everything seems to have to go completely right for them to work. I think them costing one, though, is a big step forward versus them costing two. And things like Mulder yeah. Hulk never really crossed that bridge before. There was another one pretty recently that I know I was hyped about and didn't ultimately see any play. Uh, some kind of, I can see the art in my head. It's like some kind of weird giant-y thing. I don't remember what set it was in. in the Mulder Hulk kind of did cost one because it got you land back, even though sometimes no. the land it got back was the raised dead land, which no, allowed you to... Like, yeah, I know, I know. But you know what I mean, right? It's like... If you have all the Stitcher suppliers and you have like a fully synergistic version uh, or, or like the Splinter Frights, you know, if your enablers are creatures and the enablers are good, then I think that this stuff is more reasonable. But then you're also kind of pigeonholed into playing mostly creatures and then what spells are you playing? So th- there are there are a lot of issues, but I. Maws. Yeah, I have. I've. I've worked with these decks before. I built a bunch of them. I'm almost certainly not going to stop. It's the same thing with like the thought erasure crap where I I will play it if it's necessary and good. But my initial instinct based on past experience is that like a lot of stuff needs to go right. So I'm less excited about these cards in general than I would have been say five years ago. Yeah, that is a good way of putting it. I I just like when these tools exist, though, because they do inspire me to take these detours and make me want to build decks. Absolutely. I do, too. I mean, I I think it is the best thing for a magic set to do, at least for me personally. And I don't know, maybe just with Commander being the biggest thing is just give people more tools for different things. And even if it just ends up wasting my time, it's like, well, I have fun wasting my time. Like, thank you. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm here for, basically, is to waste my time. So Yeah, let me let me just spin my wheels, try some stuff, learn some things, have some level-up moments, feel good about it, be able to talk about it on the podcast. You know, things we've learned over the last two-plus decades of playing this game and touching various magic cards and whatnot. And that's that's all I ask for, you know? Keep, keep me interested. 
And yep. for, for the most part, the set is doing that. I agree. I think it is doing a good job of that. And we only covered half of it today. Hopefully cover half of it, uh, the other half sometime next week. And then top 10 show again, feels like pretty impossible because who knows what is going to be like good or great or whatever. And a lot of the cards have very appealing text. So who knows, but I mean, my, my brain, my synapses are firing. I am engaged. I'm liking it. Give me a number rating of the set oh thus far. God. Uh, seven. I want to say eight. Uh, you always give me seven. I, I, I think say, you've given I, me seven for every time I've ever asked you for a number. Rating. I want to say eight. I want to say eight. But so my problem is like 10 doesn't exist. And nine is, would then be like very, very high. So like eight is very high also. And my problem with it is just like all the words. But this set isn't even as egregious as like the last ones. No, that's true. And not as much like double face nonsense. No double face nonsense, right? We don't have any double face cards, which is nice. I mean, as far as I know, I only like, maybe some of these cards have backsides and I, I just didn't. Oh, uh, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. No, I actually don't think there are any double face cards, which is nice. I, I am happy to take a break from that for a little bit of time. Two, two so. of the cards in the set are like, are just going to be like all timers for me, I think. It's huge. I mean, that, that sounds like an eight to me. I, I think you're, you're very justified getting that high. Yeah. And it, it, I, yeah, it's not for any particular reason. It's just like a lot of these cards are cool. Two of them really, really speak to me and are things that I will probably play with for at least the next five years. Yep. And as far as, you know, like a Dominaria set, I realized that, you know, things are, are kind of weird with the, the Praetors and Virexian stuff and whatnot. But, it, you know, it doesn't feel like as Dominaria as like the last one did for whatever that's worth, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that assessment, but ultimately I'm still having a good time with these cards. Uh, I'm going to go seven, five thus far with my rating. And then I'll, I'll check back in once we do the full set. Yeah, that sounds good. I didn't know that we could do half C's. You can do whatever you want. Honestly, this is, this is Calvin ball. You just make up whatever mm, you want to do. Mm, okay. Fair enough. All right. Are we going to try and do like a, a Tuesday, Thursday kind of thing? Do you want to roughly shoot for that? Yes, let's roughly shoot for that. And then if you are still sick or you get more sick or something, obviously we can reevaluate, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trending upwards now. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that uh, things will only get better from here. So in before I catch some new disease, monkeypox or something, but uh, th thus far things are, are trending well. So I am, I am confident we can do some stuff next week. Cool, glad to hear that. I hope that you get to enjoy watching the fab coverage and I hope that it doesn't make you too sad, but I hope you can take solace in the fact that like you didn't have to get on a plane to France. Yeah, no, not, not right now. <laughs> I really want to be there, but uh, I, I am looking forward to watching it. It'll be fun because obviously I've never had the experience of watching a Fletch and Blood Pro Tour before. So uh, it'll be cool to get to do that. And Kremple's got to replace you. Which I'm very excited about. Yeah. So they, they got a good person to do it. Yep. Yeah, and Craig, of course, had his opportunity to do some flesh and blood coverage taken away from him by COVID. Oh, um, yeah, I forgot about that. That's funny. Yeah, months and months ago. So I, I'm really happy he's able to step in for me, and I, I know he'll do a great job. Awesome. Uh, and I guess we will see folks in just a few days with uh, part two. Game. Game. Game.